Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, where today we're doing a St. Arnold's tele-tasting. And on the phone we have Lenny Ambrose, who is uh, their, their marketing slash lots of other things, right? Yeah, it just depends on the day, you know, uh, helping out doing events. And it, it's good, you know, I don't, I don't have to do sales, so I don't have to try to convince anybody of stuff they don't want to already do. So I give a lot of beer away, actually, to charitable causes and all that kind of stuff. So it's a fun job. That sounds like a great job. So St. Arnold's is in Houston, Texas. And why don't you give us a little uh, background on the size of the brewery and your reach? Where where are your beers available? Um, Well, we just hit 31,000 barrels this past year. Um, And, you know, uh, because we hit 31,000 barrels, you know, big companies like Budweiser and stuff, they get really good-looking, well-thought-of people like George Clooney to do their commercials. And so I like to say we're really excited now because Charlie Sheen is going to start doing our commercials since we're at 31,000 barrels. That's not really true. <laughs> I was going to say, you got the warlock? Uh, right. Um, yeah, every every bit of beer has a drop of tiger's blood in it. Um, <laughs> And so we had only been in Texas for the 16 and a half years that the company was in existence. Um, but this past December, uh, we just started going into Louisiana for the first time. Um, so that's kind of exciting. A lot of parts of Louisiana are closer to us than a lot of parts of Texas. So it still, you know, made sense with quality control and keeping beer fresh and everything. So, Finally, we are in the Cajun area. Okay. So I have some more questions about that, but I think we should probably get into the beer before we get too far along. Let's start. We're going to start with the the Fancy Lawnmower, which uh, is not, in fact, a Pilsner, but is a Kolsch. Correct. Correct. Um, A little factoid about Kolsch. Um, For the listeners out there, it's sort of like champagne in that you can really only be called... Champagne, you know, if you're made in the Champagne region of France, and Kolsch is the same way um, as far as being made in Cologne, Germany. That's the only way, really, you can be called an actual Kolsch. Uh, but so this is a Kolsch style, to be fair, I guess. Um, but uh, we won a, a good amount of awards with it at the Great American Beer Festival, and um, I'm sure you guys know the the old story about. Uh, lawnmower beers and you know home brewers you know brewing their double IPAs and imperial stouts and that kind of stuff but having a a lawnmower beer in the back of the fridge well Mm -hmm. we didn't want it to be a a bush light for everybody (laughs) that was a lawnmower beer so that's why it's fancy lawnmower you know it's still a good uh, good craft beer, but at the same time, it's kind of lighter and, and easier to drink. I do, I do like that thinking. And you know, if you're going to make a, a lighter style beer, you make it still something that's distinctive and mm-hmm. interesting. Absolutely, beer pours a uh, straw, crystal clear, with a, uh, a light uh, light head with some lacing on the sides. Um, Lenny, do you, does Saint Arnold filter their beers, or is this? Oh, uh, we do. Okay. Yes, sir. Indeed, we do. It should be clear. Um, it's very clear. <laughs> our, our listeners love getting the information. So we have uh, malted bar- pale malted barley and malted wheat and Hiller Tower hops. 1.05 is the original gravity on this, 11.4 degrees Play-Doh, 20 IBUs. And uh, it is sessionable. It is a 4.9% alcohol by volume. Is this a, a seasonal release, Lenny? Uh, no, it's a year-round. Oh. Uh, we do five year-rounds and five seasonals. And lawnmower is one of the year-rounds. Um, you know, in, in Texas, uh, summer can be nine or ten months out of the year. So um, <laughs> even though it's a year-round beer, it, it sort of fits the, the season always down here. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So the aroma on this beer, it's its a lot what you expect. It has, um, you know, a light barley aroma. There's that vinous character. Yeah, that, kind that of green grape, grape Grapevine character that you get in a Kolsch. I was actually thinking that I picked out like something like lavender or something like just a hint it's not not that it smells like a spiced beer or or anything but I was just getting like a hint of lavender off it also yeah you know I think that's one thing that we we really like about the lawnmower is that um, like I said it is you know crisp and refreshing but full flavored and you get a, a 
a good little hoppiness to it. You know, not hoppiness as in bitterness as people traditionally think, but you can definitely taste that, that the hops are present in there. I had Greg really searching for the lavender, and he got so close to the beer that he sorted some <laughs> up his nose and spilled it on his shirt. <laughs> that happens occasionally. But, um, well, he's cut off. So. <laughs> I, I like that there's, a, there's kind of an upfront kind of uh, bite to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, got, it's got a nice carbonation. It's got this nice sort of upfront hop bite to it, uh, in addition to being you know lighter on the tongue than other beers. So I do enjoy that. So Kolsch's- I think one thing that's really important, you know, about craft beer in this part of the country is people, a lot of people aren't uh, born into drinking craft beer, so to speak. I mean, you know what I mean by that. But so I think it's kind of important to have an approachable craft beer to give people something to to kind of start their journey, so to speak, on. You know, you don't ever meet an ex-craft beer drinker, so they've yeah. got to get started somewhere, though. That's a good point. I, you know, I, I've, yeah, no one, no one stops drinking craft beer. No one says unless, All right, unless they have to stop drinking completely. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm going back to 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 caps. No one says that, right? Let's yes. hope not. Yeah, so this this beer has a nice nice dry finish. It, it it's a pretty good Kolsch. Um, it makes me wonder if. Um, if the water in Texas or something is suited to that style, because one of my favorite beers from Spotsil, from Shiner, is their Kolsch as well. And just- yeah, well, we um, we actually have a reverse osmosis system that we put in. Gosh, it was before I started at the brewery. Maybe it was seven years ago, something like that. Um, but it's just you know Houston water that we start out with. Mm-hmm. And then it goes through that reverse osmosis process, which kind of helps keep things consistent. Right. Um, but so yeah, it starts off with good old, good old bayou water from Houston. <laughs> but it does get softened a bit, I guess, in the reverse osmosis. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that helps out. And you know, like I said, with consistency, you just don't have the variations if the city decides to put something in it or take something out. We don't have to worry about that. Right. Right. So you mentioned you were in Texas and Louisiana. Are you in the entire states or are both those states? Yeah, um, creeping into everywhere in Louisiana, uh, but pretty much everywhere in Texas. But, man, Texas is just massive. So, you know, maybe not everything is available everywhere. Gotcha. Um, the majority of our business is definitely in Houston, uh, but Dallas has been doing great for us lately, and so is Austin growing tremendously. The more I'm tasting the beer, the more I'm getting. Uh, you know what I really love about Kolsch's, which is sort of the the aftertaste, the sort of the the, the grapey kind of aftertaste mm-hmm. that comes out. I wasn't getting too much of that at first, but the more I'm drinking that, the more it's coming out. Yeah, that one's uh, it's it's popular um, at Texans games in the parking lot. Uh, you know. For um, for uh, tailgating for the Texans games, we take our trailer out there, and and uh, I I think it's good to when somebody says, "Oh, this is a, a good lighter beer," to be able to kind of discuss those other notes, like you're talking about the different flavors that kind of come out, mm-hmm. um, to kind of introduce them to the different complexities that you can have even in something that's lighter. Yeah, at four percent, you know, uh, if I could buy this, I'd have some in my fridge. Yeah. All the time, I think this is is really tasty for, and does that whole buzz per dollar? And I like keeping the buzz per dollar low. Both right? of us do. I, I, I like getting the flavor and not and not the buzz. So yeah, something like this. This is, yeah. I, I, when it comes summertime, I hope you move into Pennsylvania and start distributing here. <laughs> yeah, we have a phrase. Did you some, say buzz per dollar? That's, that's yeah. A, that's a good. I may steal that. We have a phrase: is is something worth your sobriety? In the sense that you know, yeah. a, a big, you know, a, a very large beer, you know, a beer that's like eleven percent may be great, but is it worth wasting your sobriety on that when you can have two or three smaller beers? Sure. And there's a couple yeah. different ways. A couple different ways to cut that slogan. There's the other one where you know there's a average to slightly above average beer, but it's like you know eighteen percent. And like you're not going to invest a glass of your sobriety on a beer that isn't fantastic at eighteen percent, you know. Where right. if it's yeah. at four percent, I'm not. I don't hate. I don't want to draw any 
uh, parallels to this Kolsch, but you know, a 4% beer doesn't have to be the best thing you've ever tasted to be worth drinking a pint of a 4% beer, <laughs> you know, cause you're not I wasting, totally know what you mean. you're not wasting. And I don't know about session. you guys, but you know, uh, when I'm cooking, I, I drink, you know, beer while I'm cooking at the house or just kind of hanging out. I'm not drinking an 18% beer every night of the <laughs> yeah. week. I can't do that. So, you know, it's perfect when you're just kind of hanging out and, you know, trying to cook dinner and put the kids to bed or whatever. Okay, so we're going to move on to the wheat now, the Texas wheat. And while we're pouring this, why don't you tell us a little bit about the the other four seasonals uh, that we don't have um, here? Well, uh, Springbok will be the one that's coming up later in the tasting. Um, then we move, and we're kind of transitioning into it now just because of the time of year. Uh, some places still have Springbok. Other places have Summer Pills. Um, which uh, is the seasonal we have that's available the longest um, in the calendar, the uh, longest amount of time. But then again, you know, summer is long here uh, in Texas. So we transition into summer pills. And then right after that, it's Oktoberfest, which uh, is one of the shorter seasonals that we have. And um, quick story about Oktoberfest is that it's obviously traditionally a lager, but we did a kind of a, a lot of extensive taste testing when it first came out, and the ale version of the Oktoberfest uh, won out tremendously over the lager version. Hmm. So it kind of uh, worked out that way, and it worked out in our favor at the time because of tank space, because the lagers take, you know, six weeks, ales take two so it worked out for us that we could uh, make more to, to have available. So is that uh, is that pretty much a, uh, a brown October, ale? Is it, I mean, well, is it, I mean, it has the Oktoberfest grain bill, right? So it's a lot of Munich and Vienna, I presume. Correct. And then just right. ferment it with yep. your ale yeast, huh? Right. Yep. And um, we can we can churn it out a little faster. Yeah. In our new brewery um, that we've been in for about a year and a half, we have a little bit more room, but um, but before it. Uh, you know, it was kind of hard when we were in a smaller space to have the loggers taking up tank space. We make two loggers, uh, Springbok and Summer Pills. So those are just the, the only two loggers. And then after Oktoberfest is Christmas Ale or the Velvet Hammer, as the brewers like to call it. Um, you know, smooth. Then you have uh, a couple and you realize you've just been hit over the head. And then... Uh, we have a lot of interesting stories about Christmas ale. We'll have to do a whole show just on Christmas ale. <laughs> the stories we get from drinkers, stuff that's left on our voicemails and stuff. It's kind of wild. I'm pretty sure uh, we've had the Christmas ale. I don't have any direct recollections, and maybe that's because of the Velvet Hammer. But uh, I'm pretty <laughs> right. sure I, we've had it on the show. I'm curious about that Oktoberfest ale because I'm wondering how that would actually how you would qualify that if you were say putting it into a competition because well, it's, it's not an Oktoberfest. Who cares about competition? Yeah. That's what the drinkers liked. I'm more so curious. Like I can't think of anyone else who does you know harvest ale with lots of Munich and Vienna. You know, and I'm trying to like what would that be like? That's what I'm trying to think yeah. think through. It actually won. Um a uh, Great American Beer Festival award this past year as a Scottish ale. Scottish oh, ale. Oh, okay. So that kind of makes yeah. sense. All right. Right. That's what I, I'm trying to remember. And actually, uh, on our website right now, the awards page is not updated. As I look to see what <laughs> if we want to. I think it was a silver though, silver or bronze. As a Scottish ale. Hey, awards and awards. Imagine how good you could do if you're actually trying to brew a Scottish ale. Uh, well, we have, and we actually won a gold at the World there, Beer Cup. There you go. Week. Okay. So, so we're looking at the um, Texas, Texas wheat. wheat, and it yes, is... Yes, back to that. Yes. This is straw-colored. It's a slightly cloudy, but you can still clearly see your uh, your co-host through the glass. <laughs> it has a uh, very fine head. It looks almost like, almost like a nitro head. It's so fine. But it, it, it's really thin. So uh, according to your website, you use a 50% malted wheat, 50% two-row, and you point out that 50% is a pretty high uh, wheat-to-barley ratio. Yeah, um, you know, just to, to kind of make it more interesting, and, and the, the style is actually a crystal Weizen, um, and which is what the beer was called when it originally came out. When Texas Wheat came out, it was one of the first beers that uh, Brock Wagner, my boss, started the company with back in 1994. 
um, and nobody could say the name, you know, Crystal <laughs> Weitzen is K-R-I-S-T-A-L, uh, you know, Weitzen, W-E-I-Z-E-N, and nobody down here sure. could say it. Nobody knew what it was. Nobody bought it. And uh, so, <laughs> so let's just bring he it actually, home. <laughs> he considered killing it and changed the, um, the name to Texas Wheat, and then sales went up 600%. <laughs> That's you know it, it's not actually surprising to me because a lot of people will when they go into a bar they see the name of their state or their city and they'll be like hmm, yep. let me try that one. I know, yeah, it's it's an amazing thing. The recipe did not change at all, just the name, and uh, then you kind of add like that little Texas flag in the background. Sure. Here we are. Uh, to fill out the rest of the info, uh, two varieties of uh, Pacific Northwest hops: Pearl and Liberty hops. 1.049 original gravity, 12.5 degrees Play-Doh, 18 IBUs, and 4.9 alcohol by volume. All right, so I'm getting over a cold, so my sniffer is not working super great, but I think I'm tasting or smelling a little bit of lemongrass, something like that, a little lemony. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's compared to the Kolsch, it's, it's subtle for me. But. It's got it has a, a, a pretty a pretty weedy overtone. It's it sort of it, it smells. Uh, more grassy than uh, than a little bit malty because of the, I guess because so much weed is there, and it is the the Kolsch strain as well. Oh, in, uh, okay. Texas weed. So you will get some similarities. Yeah, I definitely. And, uh, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, I was just going to say I guess we can maybe break a little news on the show as well if you guys want to. Absolutely. About, <laughs> about the beers. Uh, we, people kind of know it a little bit, but we haven't officially announced it, that actually poor little Texas wheat is going to get the axe uh, pretty soon, and oh, it's no. going to be replaced by uh, Weed Whacker. So we have Lawn Mower, and now we're going to, to make Weed Whacker as a year-round beer, which is our Lawn Mower brewed the exact same recipe as Lawn Mower, but uh, it's brewed uh, with Hefeweizen yeast, um, which we released it as part of a uh, the movable yeast series, which is taking our regular beers and using different yeast in mm-hmm. them. So we did that um, the end of last summer, early fall, and released Weed Whacker, and it did really well, and the response was, was really good. So we decided to to uh, start doing Weed Whacker year-round. So that should come out in early summer. And, and that works pretty well for brewery operations when you can use the same uh, same base of yeah. the, the same hot side uh, brewing formula. So right, you, yeah, we, it definitely helps. Were you looking for maybe a bit of a, of a difference in flavor? Because I do notice you, you, you mentioned that you're using the same uh, yeast for the Texas wheat, and I'm noticing sort of the same characteristics, a little bit of a vinous note at the end, a little bit of grapey. Yeah, I, I'm almost wishing that, Lenny, you would have held off a little bit on telling us that, because are we tasting what you told us, or are we tasting what we're tasting? Because, yeah, now this tastes a whole lot like the Kolsch. It tastes a little more fuller-bodied, a little more creamier from you know the wheat being in the beer. But generally, it's pretty close to the Kolsch, yeah. Yeah, you know, we just wanted something that was that was a little more different. Um, and the the Weed Whacker is really interesting because it's not a Hef, um, and it's not, you know, exactly a, a Kolsch either because you have all the characteristics from the yeast of the Hefeweizen. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, we had such a good response uh, to it when we just released it in draft and kind of limited edition. And when we did that, we had no intention of, you know, having it stick around as a year-round beer. But uh, the response was good, and it it, it, it is it just gives us a different off- offering in our regular, uh, you know, year-round tasting room kind of lineup uh, that it just made sense to make the switch. Right. So what kind of flavors do you get out of the yeast? Is, is it more uh, clovey or banana-y, or is it more along some other lines? Bana- Bubblegum is another one? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, I definitely got banana and the bubble gum for sure. Um, and it's been a little while since I've had it because we haven't actually brewed it again since we did originally. We haven't started brewing it again for the re-release. Um, <clears throat> but it, w- the best thing about it was to be able to pour someone a lawnmower and then pour someone a weed whacker right back to back and have them taste one and then taste the other just to show the difference that yeast hmm. really make. 
uh, and you know the the surprise look in their face when you say, you know, it's just that one ingredient that's the only thing that's changed. The malt bill is the same. The hops are exactly the same. It's just the yeast. And it sort of be- it has become a good way to sort of introduce people to, you know, that, that sort of that home brewing aspect to say you can do this at home and, you know, that this is the difference that yeast makes. So it's really that good story that kind of comes with it along with, you know, being able to offer something different at the brewery. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a, a similar revelation that I had when I was home brewing, right? Because I figured wheat beers, all that great lemony banana clove flavors came from mostly the wheat. And right. Uh-huh. I, I, I learned and most what, people do. That's right. And I learned I was wrong when I snipped yeah. open the top of that smack pack and smelled the, the Weizen yeast for yeah. the first time. I'm like, Oh, it's lemonade, you know, it's like, that's where all yeah. that flavor comes from. It's, it's a hundred percent from the, or 95% from the yeast. <clears throat> well, and, and we, you know, in the tasting room, when you're, someone is coming to the brewery for the first time and maybe they've never had our beers and they'll say stuff like, Oh, I don't like wheat beers. And it's because they don't really know what all, what all goes into it. It's not maybe that they don't like wheat beers. It's that they don't like that yeast or the fact that their friend that poured them a wheat beer put a lemon wedge in it or an orange wedge in it or whatever, you know, is the the new thing to do at the time. So it, it I know it sounds really beer nerdy, I guess, but it becomes kind of an educational process to be able to explain it. It's sort of a, a, a gateway, a door to be able to have a conversation. So... What is your opinion on that? Putting, uh, we, I, I've changed a couple times in my opinion on on putting fruit into the beer. How do you go on that? What, what do you think it's better without it? Do you think it's better with it? Is it a day by day thing? You know, I, that that's a good question. Uh, when I was first sort of getting introduced into craft beer, and you know, I guess I did it then. Um, but then somebody like our, our one of our brewers, Vince, says, you know, if I wanted fruit in my beer, I would put it in there. So I think it could be maybe offensive to a brewer, someone that really took time to make the recipe exactly as it should be. But, I, you know, I guess if somebody's going to do it and they're drinking good beer and that's what they want to do, then I guess go for it. I don't do it really anymore, but... It's been a long time since I've done that, but I don't know. Would you guys frown on somebody doing that if you saw him do it? Would you tell him not to do it, or I, you know, I think we would probably we would probably let people know that it's it's not it's most likely not what the brewer intended them to do. Now, my question is the opposite because sometimes you'll come across a wheat beer, uh, wit beer, or something where the brewer does intend it to be served with a lemon. And what if I prefer it without the fruit? You know, does that offend yeah. the brewer? That's that's the opposite <laughs> side of the coin. So I think it's it was funny in, in the uh, before uh, you called Greg and I were talking about free will versus determinism, right? <laughs> and, and it's kind of I think fruit in your beer is going to be kind of the same kind of argument. To just kind of, I'm not going to be any good answer. I mean, if 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 you were to go back to the beginning of the show, I would have very much frowned against putting. Uh, any anything into into the beer and say you know you drink it like the brewer intended, but I've right. kind of softened on that uh, because you know I've had beers with and without fruit and I think that you know if you want to add something to the beer and get it to flavor more to your liking, go for it. I've I've I have some fresh raspberries at home and I've added them to some some beers just to kind of just just to perk up a little bit of extra flavor. What is that? I mean, what's the difference between adding? Excuse me, what's the difference between adding a lemon to your beer? And adding a fresh hop comb from your hop exactly, garden, you know, not much. Or, def- for that matter, you know, pouring half, uh, you know, a chocolate stout and half of a some raspberry whatever, you know, to, to kind of almost like a all beer cocktail. Um, you know, I've done that before, and it's really good. So, I, actually, <laughs> so- I think I just came up with the answer. It should be our choice and not the bartender's choice on whether that fruit goes in the beer. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, uh, you know, this is a totally different subject, but I don't like it when they put even lemon in my water or whatever because you don't know who's been cutting the lemon or (laughs) what fly has landed on it. But, yeah, I guess that's a good point. You know, if 
if you do it yourself, then that's a, a totally different thing. And I, that's how I kind of come down on it. Just like, you know, you see a lot of reviews or people talking about beer and anything that's under 5% alcohol and is a little bit lighter is not worthy of any anybody ever drinking. Um, I just think, you know, if you're supporting an American company and it's a craft beer, then go for it. <laughs> I guess that's the way I see it. Yeah, so... You know, there's a there's a growing uh, growth curve for people getting into craft beer, right? People discover craft beer and then they go extreme. You know, they want the hoppiest thing they can find yeah. because, well, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? Because they've been drinking beer for years and they always hear that hops are in the beer. I mean, you read a Budweiser label and it's the finest hops and malted barley, and but you can't tell what hops taste like from a Budweiser or any of those beers. So I remember when I had my first victory, Hop Devil. That's where I learned what hops tasted like. So then I wanted to like hoppier, hoppier, hoppier. You know, I grew out of that. And now I love Kolsch's and Dortmunders and things like that. So I think there's definitely this this teenage years where you're just rebelling and going <laughs> for crazy. And and a lot of the, the vocal people that you mentioned, you know, about not being being not the strongest beer are in those teenage years. And hopefully a lot of them grow out of it. Uh, I had a question for you, Lenny, where... Yeah. You have uh, five year-round beers, uh, five seasons, right. and then you have the Divine Series. Explain to us how the Divine Series works. Um, well, it is uh, a limited, you know, one-time-only series um, that we release sort of whenever we have a recipe ready. So there's not it's not a once-a-year or a twice-a-year or a certain date or anything like that. It's just when we feel like we have the tank space to brew it, we have a good recipe ready, and everything kind of falls into place. Uh, we've made 11 of the Divine Reserves. Um, Divine Reserve 11, <coughs> excuse me, came out on March 29th. Um, and uh, that was a double IPA. Um, and like I said, it, it changes every time we've done it. We've done a, a pumpkin imperial stout. Um, that was Divine Reserve number nine. Uh, seven was a Weizenbach. That was num- delicious. Uh, oh, thanks. Uh, like kind of like a chocolate covered banana sort of. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, number one was a barley wine back in 2005. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but we've increased how much we've made every time, uh, you know, we make it. Uh, the first one back in 2005, the barley wine uh, Brock kind of hoped that it would stick around in the market for about two weeks, and then it sold out in a day. <laughs> and, uh, we only made 327 cases of it, you know, back then, compared to Divine Reserve 11, where we made 4,123 cases, I think is what it was. All right. So, just, I'm sorry, Lenny, you can finish your story. I'll just let you know we're moving on to the amber now. We're uh, sniffing oh, it. Oh, okay. So. Sure, go for it. Which, uh, as an aside, since you're talking about our drinking amber, that was kind of the the beer that started off St. Arnold. Brock was trying to make his favorite beer, just generic term, what he liked to drink on a daily basis. So, uh, you know, really well balanced is kind of what he likes. So, yeah, for the uh, the aroma here, I'm, I haven't tasted it yet. For the aroma, first thing I got was there were some hops in it. You know, something we haven't mm-hmm. come really American hops. You know, one of those sea hops uh, was the first thing I smelled. And then you know, you got this nice, nice uh, bready uh, maltiness. It, it it almost smells something like an extra special bitter or something along those lines. It has that good balance mm-hmm. of of sweetness and of hoppiness. Very close, yeah, to an ESB, I would say. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the whole motto of St. Arnold is just a lot of good stuff in there, but just keep it all in balance. It, it um, pours a uh, rich gold. Almost, It's on the light side of amber. If people are imagining what a typical amber is. It's a little on the lighter side, but it has a nice, rich, golden color, crystal clear, because they filter all their beers. And the head's a very fine head again. Uh, you use two-row uh, pale malt uh, from Northern Plains and uh, specialty Caravienne malt from Belgium. Interesting there. Uh, cascades early on to for uh, bitterness and later for hop and then finished again with Liberty hops. Uh, Liberty, or is Liberty a noble variety? Uh, yes, yes. Lib- wait, uh, no, Cascades. There are Cascades and Amber. Oh, Greg, Greg's reading it right off the website. Apparently. Liberty, Liberty, as well as Cascade. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I'm not sure about Liberty, Greg. I don't think it's. 
Noble bit. Uh, the original gravity is 1.054, 13 degree, 13.7 degrees Play-Doh, 31 IBUs, so d- a little bit more bitter than the other ones, uh, and 5.5% alcohol by volume. Big citrus flavor, you know, the first thing, stepping up from the wheat beer, first thing I noticed, first sip was like biting into like a, a mandarin orange or something, it was just a big citrus flavor there. And then it has the, the malt balance that it certainly is balanced, doesn't, mm. doesn't you know, swing one way or the other. I think amber is is one of those um, that it really doesn't excite like like we were saying maybe the the craft beer drinkers in their in their teenage years, um, but for me to taste a brewery's amber if they offer what they call an amber ale is always really interesting because even though you know there are American ambers and stuff that win awards at the Great American Beer Festival, you never really know what you're going to taste when you taste an amber ale. Like, I, I always feel like I kind of have an idea when I taste an Oktoberfest or a whatever, a IPA or a Scottish ale or something, but I just never know what the amber is going to taste before I taste it. I think that's a, that's a good point. I fluctuate between ambers or pale ales for sort of my guide of a brewery in a sense that the same way when I go to a sushi restaurant, my guide of how good the sushi is going to be is I want to taste their spicy tuna roll. Everyone makes a spicy yeah. tuna roll. I want to taste theirs and see what they do with it. And their see take on it. Yeah, see what their take is. And, you know, the amber or the pale, either way, is, de- is, is sort of the way I, I like to go into a brewery and see how they're going to do because almost all breweries make one of those, too. Yeah, from when I was talking about the aroma, I mentioned how it seemed like it smelled kind of ESB-like. Uh, the flavor's not not there at all. I mean, it is definitely more saying amber. If I was, I'd like to think if I was blindfolded and didn't know the label said amber, this flavor would tell me amber because the the bitterness is out in front of the the maltiness. I mean, mm-hmm. the maltiness is still there; it's still a balance, but it's it's teetering, and those hops are you know weighing down more than the than the the sweetness is. The hops are I've also had some amber that you know are a little are a little roastier too, and mm-hmm. you don't get the the hops as well. Right, the hops are a bit of uh, they're, they're a bit spicy, and they kind of they're they're, they're pretty forward, and they give a a sort of tart, spicy uh, kick to the beer. Yeah, uh, if if you want a, a quick story about the amber, the first time um, that it was kind of released to the public. Uh, it was released at a, a bar, a local bar here called the Ginger Man, which is sort of famous, you know, be, uh, craft beer bar. And um, everybody sort of took a sip. And I, I think that the, the public kind of had some before Brock even had some for that tag. And he kind of watched everybody's reaction. And, you know, everybody sort of made faces a little bit like, wait a second, this is really hoppy. <laughs> and uh, he realized that, you know, that one of the first batches that they just didn't really get the hop additions right and the calculations, and they'd made a, a really good IPA, but <laughs> not an amber. Uh, so that's the, the early brewery growing pains, I guess. All right. So one of the other reasons that we're doing this show is so we can talk about some uh, craft beer legislation that's happening in Texas. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, in Texas, you can either be a brew pub or a packaging brewery. Uh, we are a packaging brewery, so that means we can't sell any beer on site, but we can have it sold in other bars, stores, and restaurants. So brew pubs, the other category, they can sell on site, but they can't, um, sell in other bars, stores, and restaurants. So the only on-site is the only place they can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, we have the last, now three, this one and, and then the last two um, legislative sessions, because the Texas legislature only meets every other year, uh, have been kind of trying to change that a little bit and uh, modify it. Um, so that's the goal. Uh, our bill... Uh, kind of in the middle of the process right now, um, House Bill 602, uh, and it would allow us to not not exactly sell to the public, um, but it would allow us to have people that come on our tour be able to sort of upgrade their tour to where they could take 
beer home with them. So if they liked the amber, they sampled it at the tour, they never had it before, they could take some home so they have it in their refrigerator. So hopefully the next time they go to buy beer, they remember what they liked at the tour and they have it still in their refrigerator and they finished off the last ones, they go and buy some more amber. So, so how does this, we're not how trying does... to we're not trying to really rewrite the the laws, every law out there. We're just trying to maybe modify it so it's a little bit friendlier to, to small business. It sounds a little bit like a prize at the end of the tour they have to pay for. <laughs> yeah, how right. does, yeah, how, does little, bit, how, does, how would this upgrade be implemented? That's what I'm curious about. Wait, say that again? How would this upgrade to be able to take beer home be implemented? Well, it, it would be, you know, something like people pay $7 right now for the tour, and um, then they, hopefully, I guess the idea is that they could you know, pay $20 if they wanted to take home the two six-packs. Or we haven't exactly worked out the specifics um, because I guess it depends how the bill changes as it goes through the legislature, if it passes. Um, but that, that's kind of how it would be implemented, that they pay $7 if they just want to come in and taste the regular beers or they pay you know, the you know, additional upcharge if they think they want to take some home. Gotcha. The... Uh the brew pubs, do, are they allowed to sell beer to go? Can they get growlers filled to brew pubs and things like that? Yes, you okay. can You can get beer to go, but it just can't be sold anywhere else. So, right, right. you know, out of, out of and, and that's one of the big inequities in, in the whole situation is kind of why we're fighting it, is that they can, uh, brew pubs from other states that can also sell off-site and whatever, uh, they can sell beer in Texas. So you can be a a brew pub in California that sells your beer elsewhere, but then you can come into Texas and also sell your beer in Texas. So, hmm. you know, just we're going up against these other the other breweries that have the extra revenue stream of being able to sell on site and then sell off premise. They're coming into Texas with uh, that additional revenue stream and going up against Texas breweries. So. It just doesn't really make sense that we wouldn't be able to do something similar to that as well. Uh, no. Why do you, why do you think the laws in Texas are, are like that? I mean, we have some kind of similar strange laws here in Pennsylvania. Why do you think the laws uh, around beer are like that? To be honest, I, I am not one hundred percent sure of the the whole genesis of those laws. I know the three tier system is very protected here in Texas. And it works well for us. We, we are not trying to undercut, you know, the bars that sell our beer, the grocery stores that sell our beer, or di- our distributors. We don't want to hurt them. And actually, our, our main distributor um, here in Houston, and they also serve San Antonio, they're uh, behind us in this bill. So uh, it's not like we're fighting against our own distributor. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know where it started, but I really think that in the end, it would help them and help the other people that sell our beer because it would be foremost in their mind. They would remember, you know, that they liked lawnmower. And so, like I said, the next time they go to the store, they would remember what they had. So they go and buy it again. Someone that lives 45 miles from the brewery and is coming in from out of town, <clears throat> they're not going to drive to the brewery to buy their beer the next time. They would want to go to the grocery store next door to buy right. it. Yeah. I mean, so who's... we really don't think it would hurt, you know, the people that sell our beer. Yeah, I mean it makes perfect sense that part. Who's the opposition? Is is there opposition? People that don't that think you'll they'll well, be undercut? There, there has been in the past um a, a lobby up um a wholesalers lobby in North Texas. But actually at, at this point uh we've gotten some good response and we haven't really faced much much opposition yet. Um Obviously, who knows what will happen as it continues to go on. But uh, this year, it is we, we feel more positive than we have in past years. Can, can small breweries in Texas self-distribute, or do they have to use a wholesaler? <clears throat> we can self-distribute. As okay. long as you're under, I think, 75,000 barrels, you right. can still self-distribute. But That's a lot of beer uh, to do by yourself, very though, early isn't days, it? St. <laughs> Arnold did self-distribute, but it's just... That you have to have a whole network, you know, mm. set up to be able to do that. Understood. So we're uh, getting into the brown ale right now. Uh, five different types of malted barley, say uh, um, three different Pacific Northwest hop varieties. 
1.052 original gravity, 13.2 degrees Play-Doh, 24 IBUs, and 5.3% alcohol by volume. And the yeah, the brown ale is one of the ones that started off St. Arnold as well. With uh, The amber ale was kind of the first, and then brown ale and, and crystal Weizen. Um It's our lowest-selling beer at the moment. But it's also Brock's wife's favorite beer, so we'll always make it no matter what. <laughs> so it's not going away. <laughs> even yeah, even if nobody ever buys any off the shelves, um, it you know it's kind of like the underdog of our beers. Though it, it is the lowest seller, but when people have it at the brewery, they really love it. And I, I don't know if it's just the the generic term sort of brown ale that kind of turns people off or um you know maybe that's just not the first one they would pick up on the shelves but people that love brown ale love it they uh, we have a a very loyal following for brown ale well i mean if you're going to get rid of your your texas wheat maybe you can call this a (laughs) texas brown and use that texas thing to get in there uh, when do you want a job? You, want to <laughs> you are talking to the marketing guy, Greg. So, <laughs> <laughs> Come on board. Help me out. Um, uh, be yeah, car- you know, be the, careful. Greg's looking for work. <laughs> I, I really, really like the brown ale. And um, it was actually the last one that we just did in the movable yeast series where we did the brown ale um, and called it Farmer Brown and uh, pitched it with Cezanne yeast. Nice. Hmm. So again, you know, people could, the idea was that, that bars would serve it, uh, the regular brown <clears throat> and then the farmer brown right next to each other to kind of get the, the differences and show people the differences there. Sort of a, a little bit of a, um, uh, funky is the wrong word for it, but a little, <laughs> sure. a, you know, a little bit of a little more uh, rustic. Yeah. Rustic. Is a good Actually, one. I think that's what, um, I think that's what Sam Adams is calling their recently released Saison is like the rustic, rustic. Saison. It's a good term. Oh, is it? I they don't want to say horse blanket, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, if brown ale is going to turn people off, I think horse blanket would right. not be the best term. So I had to uh, step away from the microphone for a second, and I'm back. And uh, so I, I missed what you were saying about the brown ale at first, but I drink this and I think I taste a little bit of so, some German malts in there, so, some Munich or something. Is there any uh, any German malts used in this? Uh, there is a little bit of, yes, indeed there is. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Munich, um, definitely. Okay. Um, and that that's kind of what I like about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, since we offer it year-round and don't offer... Oktoberfest year round, it, it kind of is that escape a little bit um, when you know a lot of those are not typically offered in Texas as year round beers. Yeah, it gives it a little more. Oh, it's hard to describe because it doesn't come across quite. It's a blend of flavors, right? It's a little bit toffee. It's a little bit doughy. <laughs> yep. A little bit bread. It 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 just it had that in it where you know I was, you know when I. If I'm doing a baseline against brown ales, you know, everyone's going up against, how's yeah. it compared to Brooklyn, you know? Right. As an American brown yeah. ale. And, and you know, yours had a lot different malt character, or a lot more complex malt character because of that Munich malt, too. It's, so it's a little bit fruity. That's the my attention. You know, what, what I like about it is that it, it's got uh, multiple dimensions, and most brown ales tend to kind of be in, in, in sort of one or two dimensions. They're a little bit hoppier, they're a little bit malty. And this one, you know, kind of has a spectrum, which I do enjoy. Um, you know, I, I think uh, that it, it's one of those that when someone comes to the brewery and I and they're in the tasting room, which is not all the time, but sometimes, and they say they are not a beer drinker. <clears throat> most people might think, oh, we'll give them a, a lawnmower. You know, what's the lightest beer or something? But a lot of times, in fact, most of the time, I'll let them try brown ale first, especially mm-hmm. if they say they're a red. They drink more red wine than sure. anything. Then I'll start with brown ale, and that usually kind of wins people over. Um, so it kind of goes against uh, the conventional wisdom, maybe that you know something that pours dark darker in a glass, it, you know, is not something you'd want to offer somebody. But that usually is kind of a good hook to pull somebody in. There's a weird perception out there, misperception, I would say, that darker ales are heavy. I mean, right. It's yeah. hard to convince people that that's not the case. 
heavy, right. caloric, yeah, heavy or bitter or whatever. You know, right. people their their impressions if they, if they haven't had them before. But yeah, uh, I think it's kind of it, it's almost one that you'd rather pour somebody that with their eyes closed first, mm-hmm. yeah, and then let them taste it. You know, we actually did a show where we were literally blindfolded drinking the show. And we got some scathing feedback because we had edited the show in a manner where the listeners knew what we were drinking before, you know, we could even see the beer. And so they knew we were drinking like an IPA and we're saying it tastes like a porter, right? You know, it's like something like that. And we got some feedback that hey, you guys are hacks. You don't know what you're tasting. And I'm just saying, no, you, know you what? do I, it. I, I you really do it first. Like that. I, I think that is a great, that's a great way to do it without labels and mm-hmm. without uh, that preconceived notion mm-hmm. that I think so often gets wrapped up in the you know the craft beer world now that without you don't know whose beer you're drinking or what it is I think that's a great way to do it. Yeah. As, as I've said before, it's one of those mixed blessings in the sense that on, on one on the one hand you know what to look for. Uh, in, in the mm-hmm. flavors, so you can pick those out if you know it. But on the other hand, you come in with pre with uh, pre existing expectations, and you can't necessarily get away from those very easily. Right. Yep. Yeah. I'm right there with you. So, is there anything else we need to say about Hellspill Six O Two? Sounds like it's um, underway, and there's no big opposition. Is the uh, is the legislature uh, keen to these kinds of things? Do you think it's going to go through this time? Well, it's it's gone for, through the the uh, first two hurdles, I guess, um, and we'll see. Uh, <laughs> we, it, it, the next couple weeks are key, um, but I, I think that it's gotten out of committee, and uh, it'll just keep progressing. Um, you know, if you're in Texas and, and are hearing this, uh, write your legislator and, and let them know, even if they're not somebody that's on the committee just let them know you support small business and craft beer. Sounds good. Yeah, we have uh, we have several Texas listeners who correspond with us, and for every listener that corresponds, we have many that don't. So we'll probably have a an okay reach in Texas for people to yeah write some emails, write some pen and paper letters, even more effective. A quick note that is uh, respectful to the person that uh, you know represents your area, and uh, it doesn't have to be some long detailed form letter just a quick note i think works best that's kind of the way i like to tell people all right excellent let's move on to the Alyssa. yeah let's move on to the Alyssa ipa you you correct us before the show on the pronunciation i said elisa and you said no it's Alyssa, and there's a story behind it yeah Alyssa um is a tall ship that is docked in galveston which uh from houston is about 45 minutes south uh right near the coast and there's a tall ship there, um, and that type of ship uh, was used to, uh, you know, carry that sort of, sort of beer from England to India. Um, and the, the ship actually still sails every year, and uh, the part of the proceeds of the beer go to the upkeep of the ship. So Did you a lot put- of people know the... Alyssa from going on school field trips and stuff growing up in the Houston Galveston area. So they went, you know, to tour the Alyssa as a kid. And, um, so it's still kind of an important part of the area. Have you ever put barrels of beer on the ship when it was sailing? We have. Yeah. We've awesome. had a few events <laughs> on the, on the Alyssa actually. Um, Very cool. And there's actually a little restaurant right next to it. But, um, when it sails, we've done parties and we donate kegs of Alyssa, obviously to the, the parties. So in the ingredients, you have all British malt. The base malt is Maris Otter and augmented with uh, medium crystal malt. Hopped only with cascades. 1.061 original gravity, 15.5 degrees Play-Doh. 6.6% alcohol by volume. And your bitterness here says lots. (laughs) Your guess is 60. Yeah, because, you know, you you take it into lab tests and you get these crazy numbers sometimes. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, uh, I I guess that's what the number we ended up with was 60. Um, But, you know, like a lot of things, most things with St. Arnold, it's uh, all in balance. Um, It's not one that's going to totally knock your socks off. 
uh, bitterness-wise, but that's not what we're all about all the time. Um, we want it to be very, uh, very approachable still. And I think it won a silver medal at the JBF, actually in the, gosh, <clears throat> I see the uh, cuff here. It's World like Beer the Cup. special ESB oh, category really? last year. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't the ESB category, but it was like the special ESB category. The special, the special bitter, probably. Is that it? Well, <laughs> no? yeah, but not. Yeah, is that like special? That, Does that mean they ride the short bus? I'm not. I kind of. Well, there's bitter, <laughs> special bitter, extra special bitter. Right, but I mean, oh, it, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Uh, the the aroma definitely smells a, a real, you know, big cascade aroma, which to me means grapefruit, to Jeff means orange, but uh, you know, our our senses taste that differently. But I can definitely smell the cascade in there. So. Uh, Lenny, tell us a little bit about the name of the brewery, Saint Arnold, and uh, and why what Saint Arnold did and why he was chosen to name the for the name of the brewery. Uh, patron saint of brewers, and uh, he was a a bishop in Metz, France, around 600 A.D. And uh, he spent his life preaching of the evils of drinking water. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right, uh, but well, they had not what year was that? That was separated. when water was filled with all kinds of nasties that would kill you, right? So yeah, well, and part of it is that they hadn't separated the sewer lines from the water lines. Yeah, they hadn't really figured that out, and obviously, in the process of making beer, you boil the water. So that makes it a little safer to drink well, and sanitizing it, the water, but they didn't really figure that out. Yeah, I mean, they, it's, they it's a reason. Was, they thought it was the God is yeah, good part of it. It's yeah. a reasonably rational position for somebody in 600 AD, I suppose. You know, my my grandpa argued the same thing about drinking water, but with a completely different rationale, and that was because water would rust your insides. So <laughs> <laughs> there is wow, iron okay. in our blood, I guess. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so Saint Arnold, yeah, he. Um, he was a brewer himself, um, so imagine that he was a really, you know, popular bishop, <laughs> <laughs> brewing for his parishioners and such, I guess. Um, and uh, when he, you know, passed away, uh, he was so popular that his um, his parishioners wanted to kind of honor him and bury him at the home parish. And he had, he had uh, retired to a monastery in the mountains in France. So they walked up the mountain, actually had to dig his body out of the ground, walk it down the mountain, and they came across a little pub along the way, and the bartender only had enough beer for one mug full. So he filled it. There was about 100 of them. Uh, they, you know, first person took a sip, the second, the third. They passed it, and it never went dry. Was that his that miracle? the miracle of St. Arnold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's great. How come we can't have that now? <laughs> I, I know, I, right? I like this uh, the balance here. It's um, you know, it, it's hoppy without going overboard. The malt is definitely be- behind it, but it definitely gives it more of a hot forward uh, flavor. A yeah. little on the bitter side. That's okay. There's some good bitterness to it. It, it yeah, doesn't sure. have a big. For me, I'm not finding and. Granted, I'm impaired. I just got over a cold. My nose is not working, and my tongue is barely working. But I'm not getting a huge amount of hops off this one. I'm getting something that is more. You mentioned you won the the special ESB or special bitter category, and and I see why because it is it's a little more subdued. The hops aren't way out in front and aren't very clear. They they're blended nicely with the the English Marisotter malts and things on this beer. So well, it, it reminds me of an English sort of IPA, and I think that's right. you know. You use English yeah. malts, and uh, you use an English uh, um, brewer as <laughs> or, or patron saint as right, your right. As the brewer company. I think it's interesting. I I, I wonder if Saint Arnold knew that beer is what ninety eight percent water anyway. So, <laughs> so you've been uh, you've been really good at answering our questions. I'm going to try to stump you with one now. On the Alyssa uh, IPA label, off to the left, oh there's a little yeah. compass rose that says ale and has a, a club at the noon and. Uh, uh, Iron Cross at the three, and none of the other labels have this little insignia. What's that about? Oh boy, you're going to get me fired here. <laughs> uh, I just I'll edit this out when I let Brock listen to it. I actually am not totally sure. I know that 
Gosh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, obviously, I've noticed. <laughs> I that. did stump him! Yay! He's been <laughs> yeah, so good at answering did. every question without without skipping a beat. <laughs> what I like about this label, if if I may, is I like that um, the the saint. I guess this would be Saint Arnold himself is looking. And he sees the, a star in the sky, and the star is in the shape of Texas. <laughs> yeah, you got to look kind of close, but the the star is in the shape of Texas. And then also, the the, uh, the kind of the women, the statues that are on the mm-hmm. <clears throat> that that's you know sort of from the the front of the ship, and right. they're holding uh, yellow rose of Texas as, as well. So if you look kind of closely. All right, so you're going to have to email us about this Compass Rose and what it's about. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the homework. I really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> I, I enjoy this a lot. It, it doesn't leave a, 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 a layer of bitterness, which some IPAs t- can kind of do, and it's a uh, you know, nice drinker. Uh, I enjoy it, and it's and it's in contrast to like the the double IPA we made for Divine Reserve Eleven. That's really hop forward, obviously, and then Divine Reserve Six was a an American barley wine, very very hoppy. Even still, after gosh three years ago, we released that one. Maybe it's been a while, um, but you know, it's the the year round everyday. Um, year-round beer, you know, we kind of wanted to make something that was more balanced for the Alyssa. All right, we are pouring the Springbok now. The final beer of the night. <laughs> so, before we even smell this, or actually, I'm not going to ask that question, because I'm going to draw my own opinions. I was going to ask you what direction this Bach was leaning, but don't tell me just yet. I'll okay. uh, I'll give the ingredients while you're making up your mind, Jeff. Uh, okay. <laughs> five uh, different types of malt, Two-row pale malt from North Plains, and especially malts from Belgium. Uh, two Central European noble hop varieties, Zotz and Hellertau. Uh, 1.064 original gravity, 16.3 degrees Plato, 24 IBUs, 6.4% alcohol by volume. By the way, I love that your site gives all this information. Uh, I am very critical of websites that don't, don't give this kind of information to people who are looking for it. And uh, your site is great. It has all this information and a lot of information on the beer itself. So Thanks. thank you for that. Yeah, we, we pretty recently redid the website, so we wanted to make sure it had everything. And it was easy to find, too. That's another. How much, how much marketing speak is there on the website there, Greg? There's a good deal of marketing speak. But um, I, mean, I, I tend to – and anything that doesn't we, – we, what I call marketing speak is anything that doesn't – it isn't specifically about the beer itself. Anything that says that this is what it tastes like or this is – you know, or it has great flavors of this or that. I leave that out of descriptions because I say you – know, um, I understand why it's there. But I say for us, while we're giving information on it, I just want the facts. Yeah, just we, the facts. We, we don't man. care how the beer makes you feel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we we can guess how it makes you feel. Probably. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, my nose is broken. I'm not smelling much of anything, Craig. So help me out here. Uh, there's obviously a sweetness um, coming here. This is actually a, a it's a lighter kind of color. It's more of a of a copper amberish color than um, than I might have expected off of a traditional box. But I guess it's not a double box. It's not a double box. Yeah. It's kind well, of a, and it is called. No, sp- it is called Springbok, right? Yeah. So I was wondering if it was going to be more like a Maybach, where they're typically more golden in color. They're like a Hellerbach, mm. right? And it's not that golden, and I haven't tasted it yet. And since my nose isn't working, I'm there's a spiciness to the hops coming right through too. The you know, it doesn't seem uh, overly malty. Well, you know, folks in Texas are used to drinking a. Uh, you know, Bach. There's been a, a Bach, like Shiner, uh, a, a particular Bach over yeah. from uh, Spotsil, right? The, uh, there's been a Bach available in Texas for a long time, uh, but yeah, you know, we we wanted to do one that was a traditional German Bach. I think the other one is, you know, has been called an American Bach or a Texas right. Bach or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but this one is, you know higher in, in alcohol content like it should be um, just one of uh, two lagers you know that we make um, so but I, I think uh, it's good to have these and in, in the seasonal lineup um, you know a little bit higher in alcohol content and uh, on the label you know y'all were talking about the label before and I said y'all yes I, I, <laughs> I certainly did I don't know how many times you get that on craft beer radio but uh the blue bonnets are on the the label 
which um, are really a big thing. Uh, the signal spring here mm. in the state of Texas, blue bonnets grow wild just all over the place. Uh, and then the Indian paintbrush flowers as well. So they should be coming so, out about now, huh? Yeah, yeah. You can really start to see them a good bit all, all along the highway. And one of the other neat things is people, you know, will stop and pull over on the side of the road and go out into them to take pictures and stuff. Uh, but yeah, um, Springbok is, uh, and we recently moved into a new brewery and I think it's one of those that has sort of benefited maybe a little bit from, uh, the better brewing equipment that we've had. Um, just, I don't know, it it kind of is just a little richer than it used to be at the old brewery. Yeah. I saw some photos of your new brewery in your new place. Uh, it seems, uh, I'm not sure if I saw pictures of your old one, but your new one seems quite spacious and uh, looks like a good upgrade for you guys. Yeah, it um, it, it really is. The old one was uh, just kind of a nondescript warehouse, but was a great place for, you know, 15 and a half or so years. Um, but the new building is really a tremendous upgrade and right near downtown Houston. And we really, you know, hope it's something that the city of Houston and Texas in general is really proud to have. Um, we're proud to be there. Uh, and, and I think now it's just more of a kind of a tourist attraction. It's more visible. And mm-hmm. the Convention and Visitors Bureau has been really good to us and kind of helping get the word out and um, really putting it as a landmark in Houston. Very cool. Well, if, if I may say so, um, I, I although I do like some beers from, from that other brewery you mentioned, this is a much better Bach than that brewery has. This, this really does fit the description of, uh, and gives you the flavor that you want. I mean, the, I think that other Bach is kind of tasteless. Um, it just it just seems bland to me, and this is not bland at all. It definitely has a, a malt forward uh, profile and gives you a lot of extra flavor. In there. Yeah, big malt forward profile. It, it, it's um, slightly sweet, very very clean. Where there's like there's like no yeast character at all. Like you know, you did a mm-hmm. superb job lagering this beer. How long does it take to produce this beer? Um, it's it's just over six weeks. Um, it, you know, it, it was the first lager we we did, um, so it was kind of a change. You mm-hmm. know, to churning out those those ales all the time. But yeah, it is just over six weeks. All right. It kind of almost makes me think that maybe you should not just brew this in the spring because if you get this out, they're so used to a Bach. If they get another Bach, it may be, hey, hmm, this is even better. Well, but, yeah, but do you really want to? You really want to compete against the incumbent, right? You know, yeah. win, win on your own merits, and maybe and like, I just and, lost and, the job. And, <laughs> and like Lenny just said, you know, it takes six weeks to do this beer, mm-hmm. so it's tying up a lot of their fermentation resources sure. longer than yeah. all their ales do. So. And then we go right into summer pills, too, from the spring box. So yeah. it, it is that tight time of year. No, that's, that's quite nice. I uh, just about finished it. I, I don't think we're really going to do a ranking tonight, even though I think we'll just, we can talk about favorites, right? And yeah. I just love the uh, the lawnmower, the, sp- the fancy lawnmower coach. Lawnmower was great. Um, you know, I am a sucker for a low-alcohol German style ale lager, whatever Dortmunder Kolsch. Those are like what, I, especially when I'm craving spring right now, and we're getting an inch of snow tonight, which is absurd. <laughs> uh, uh, it, it will be like around eighty and almost no humidity here. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. For yeah, the rest yeah. of the week, and we have the final four here this week, so that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go tell your boss that you don't know what the compass row stands for, and then you're not gonna be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a big fan of lawnmower. I'm also a big fan of this Bach. This Bach is really tasty. But uh, just to, to be a little bit different, I'll, I'll be a little bit outlier. I really like the brown ale because it had a lot of uh, flavor and complexity to it. It was a little bit different than, you know, you stand there. Oh, this is just a brown ale we're kind of throwing out there. I really did enjoy that a lot. And the, uh, well, thanks, guys. Yeah, the... Uh all the beers were none of them were kind of passe and you know what you would expect i mean the amber is kind of like you know some people will think oh not another amber right? especially from the <laughs> especially from the early 90s uh, craft beer yeah. revolution sure. right where everyone was making a crappy amber uh no this amber definitely had some real real legs to it and it went um the most surprising beer i think was probably that brownie with the with the german malts in it um it's just the most uh Different from what the norm, different from yeah. the norm beer would be the brown new. And they're very good. Thank you, Lenny, for uh, joining us on this tele tasting. And 
that's the end of Craft Beer Radio, and uh, we'll see you guys uh, next week. Uh, anything you want to say, Lydia? Your website, uh, brewery uh, you know, tour hours, us. things if like that? If you're in Houston, we do uh, tours weekdays and Saturdays, and our, our Saturday tour is more like a big Oktoberfest than it is sort of a boring talk in monotones and point at things kind of tour. Um, so come see us. You'll have a good time. So, so you're saying you can't take any beer home, but you can get plenty of beer on the tour. Is that what you're saying? You can. You okay. can. And people bring <laughs> games. A lot of people pr- play Jenga and cards. Oh, that sounds and, cool. Uh, they bring their own food. I imagine Jenga gets harder get. the, more, the, the longer you stay at the brewery. <laughs> it and, certainly uh, does, yes. I had one other question for you. Oh, you mentioned the Divine series or when you have capacity. Do you have plans on the next Divine yet? Do you know if, um, when, Well, what? some of the recipes actually come from home brewer recipes. We have the largest single batch uh, homebrew competition in the world as far as we know um, and this year it's called the Big Batch Brew Bash and this year it's Old Ale so we just tell people mm. to brew an Old Ale or a Weizenbach that was one of them um, for seven that was a homebrew recipe Okay. this time it's an Old Ale so everybody's brewing an Old Ale and uh, we'll judge it and then the winner of that will be made into Divine Reserve 12 I think that's one of my favorite styles. As of right now. Just last week, last show, episode 176, we did Old Ales in Doppelbox. No, and one of no the kidding. beers we tasted was the uh, Jasperilla from Independence Brewing. Right, sure. That was amazing. I know it's not your brand, but oh, it was from Texas. No, that, and that beer was amazing. Yeah, those guys are really great. And they're you know helping us in the, the legislative fight, too. I think that's, uh, as an aside... Um, is a really good thing is that you know all the the packaging brewers have had a chance to sort of get together and do this together all the packaging breweries in the state of texas so uh so we love those independence guys as well very cool well thank you so much lenny ambrose from st arnold brewing company at st arnold.com i'm jeff i'm, I'm, I'm greg. greg rather <laughs> that's jeff and this is uh crafty radio we'll talk to you guys soon Thanks for listening to Craft Beer Radio. The theme music is Money or Time from The Lights Out. Email us, beer at craftbeerradio.com, or follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash jeffbear and twitter.com slash gmwise. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. Money or time, but you never get a